James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Started going to CR on accident. I was just looking for a place to go on Sunday nights. And um, I asked, uh, you know, what, what do y'all have there? And they just said Subvert Recovery. And I was like, what's that? You know, it kind of sounded like AA or something to me. And uh, <laughs> and uh, so I showed up. And uh, when we finally went to the share part of the group, uh, you know, that somebody was sharing, you know, what they struggled with. And I was counting how many people before it was my turn. I was getting nervous, you know, I didn't, and, you know, I didn't really wasn't comfortable with it. And uh, then the guy shared, and I was like, well, I've done that, you know. And then the next guy did the same thing, you know. And I'm like, well, I've done that. <laughs> and uh, then finally it got to my turn, you know, and I, I did, you know, shared a little bit of what I struggled with, you know. And uh, and uh, I found that it was releasing something inside of me so God could work with me. Completed two 12-step uh, studies. Um, I, we just started our third one. Uh, we're on our uh, third week, and uh, at, at first I just figured, well, you know, it'll, it'll be good. I know it'll be good for me to do that, and uh, and just doing the twelve step study with the other guys, you know, it just really helps out. You know, I'm watching uh, them grow with the other guys that are sharing, and then and I know they're seeing me grow, and uh, and we're, we have a bond with each other there from just what we're sharing, you know, and, and it's like a brother, real brotherhood. I mean, something that's going to be for eternity. It's not just for like we're on this life, you know, as friends, it's, it's going to be a, a, for, for eternity. Because uh, Romans 7.18 says, um, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. And uh, we all struggle with stuff. All of us, everybody, and just being able to share that with somebody else and them sharing with you, just there's something about that that releases something so God can use you. I struggle with anger and, uh, and lust, but uh, the beginning, I, I, you know, I, the anger was what I was uh, working on. I realize I've got to forgive others before I can start working on myself or God can start working on me. That you're holding stuff in, it just, uh, it, it, you just, God can't use you if you got, you're holding resentment toward others. And, I, and that's what I was doing. I had resentment. By me forgiving, uh, was it like an ex wife, <laughs> uh, it just, uh, I, I started looking at myself on what my part was, and, you know, the reason we got divorced and everything. And, uh, and I started forgiving her, not holding resentment. And that helped me work on myself, or, or letting God work on me, you know, right. and uh, enabled Him to be able to work on me. Because I was holding, you know, I was in denial. You know, I thought it was all her fault, you know, and it's not. You know, you know I, I'm, I'm a whole lot quicker to think of, uh, well, they need forgiveness too, you know. Colossians 3.13 says, Be gentle and ready to forgive. Never hold grudges. Remember the Lord has forgiven you, so you forgive others. 
fourth week of our study of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and we are looking at what Jesus said was, if you want to be happy, if you know anything about the, the sermon, it starts off with the Beatitudes, and really that's just eight statements that say, blessed are the people who do this. Jesus boiled down happiness into eight simple choices, and happy means to be satisfied or content with your life. So he says, if you want to be satisfied, if you want to have a life that you are satisfied with, when you get to the end of it, you make these eight simple choices, and, and we started off three weeks ago looking at these, and, and we, we can really boil down these last three weeks into just some, some quick statements, a couple of phrases. Week one, choice one is, I can't. Choice two is, God can. Week three, choice three is, let him. See, week one is, I'm powerless. I, 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 if I could change myself, I would, but I can't, so I won't. Week two is, there is a God who loves me and has all the power in the world to change me, but I've got to move to step three. It doesn't matter if I have all the head knowledge about God can change me. Step three is when I commit all of my life and care to God's control through Jesus Christ. That's when things start to happen in my life. And, And so... We, we let go and let God. And some of you are thinking, well, how do I do that? Because I'm getting, you know, people write on the back of their cards every week and I'm getting comments. This is great. I'm learning something. I'm looking forward to next week because I still don't understand everything. And some people are saying, what does it mean to let go and let God? How can God change me? Well, that's the fourth choice that we're going to look at today. And it's probably the toughest choice of all. And I think you'll understand in just a moment. It's called the house cleaning choice. And here it is. I openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and to someone I trust. Now, read that statement. Let it marinate for just a minute. And then I'm going to see on your faces, are you nuts? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm anticipating you saying, well, you know, okay, I can admit some stuff, some things to myself because... I know me and I'm a jerk and I'm a dork or I'm messed up or whatever. And it's okay if I know that. So I'll admit that. Maybe, maybe I'll admit that to myself. And God, well, God already knows it. So I'm going to, okay, okay, I'll admit it to God. I'll confess my sins, my junk to God. But there's not a chance this side of Satan's domain. Hell, I was just trying to be descriptive. That I'm going to share with people. Are you kidding me? Well, just kind of. Kind of chill for a minute. And I want you to hear me out today and then make up your mind. The whole reason that I had you pray, God, what do you want to say to me today? And what do you want me to do with what you said? I wanted you to pray that because I want you to be open to this. And and I'll explain all this in a minute. Now, we have some huge billboards out here outside the church. Y'all seen the billboards coming back from Tyler? You know, they're lighted up at night. They're like these honking things out there. Now, God is not asking you to rent one of those billboards and put your stuff up for everybody who drives into Palestine to see. Oh, Jeff, well, Jeff's got these issues. You know, don't you know everybody just pull up and be looking at him, reading him? Or like get one of those LED signs over in Tyler that change, because, man, mine would go more than just one. I would have to have page after page. People would have wrecks trying to see all my stuff on those, on those boards. God's not asking you to do that. God's not going to send Dr. Phil to wherever it is you work to psychoanalyze you in front of all your coworkers. That's not what God's asking you to do. But he is asking you to find some trusted Christian friends to share your stuff with. Because here's the key. This is the key. This is the first thing on your listening guide, the first blank. Freedom is impossible without honesty. God wants you to be honest with him. He wants you to be honest with yourself, and he wants you to be honest with a few Christian friends, because freedom is impossible without honesty. Look at John 8, 32. Jesus was talking to a group of his followers. 
He had just said, if you abide, which means you obey in my word, then look what he says here. Then you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. What that means is, boil it down, truth is the cost of freedom. And freedom is the reward of truth. Freedom is the reward of honesty. So if I want to be free from my past, which is hurtful, I've got junk in my past. Everybody here has junk in your past. It can either control you, or if you follow God's way, you can be free from it. And so God wants you to be honest with Him and with ourselves and with other people. Now, we've said for a long time, ever since we started New Life, that, that this was a place that, uh, that, that we're going to be honest. And we've said that our secrets make us sick. It's not the stuff that's already out there. It's the stuff we try to keep inside. Satan has power when I keep my junk inside. There is something miraculous, even though it's scary about sharing my stuff with someone else. There's something miraculous when you bring it out into the light. The world tells you intimacy happens in the dark. God says, oh no, intimacy happens in the light. If you want fellowship with God's people, 1 John um, 1, 6. If we want fellowship with God's people, we've got to confess our sins, be cleansed. From, from the blood of Jesus. And then we have fellowship with one another. So we've got to bring our junk out into the light. And God does some amazing stuff when we do that. So honesty is the antidote from being sick about what happened to me in my past. God, uh, God wants us to get real. Because if, if we're not, if we're not going to be honest, then get used to living a life of misery. If you, if you dig misery, then keep on lying to yourself and lying to others. But if you want to get over it, then you got to be honest. you got to get honest. Look at this next verse. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. This is one of the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 8. Happy, satisfied, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, I want you to notice something, and we're real big on this around here. Notice what Jesus does not say. He does not say, happy are the religious in heart. No, happy are the pure in heart. Some of the most unhappy, foul-mouthed, deceitful, proud, arrogant people I know are religious. And, and we'll get on that in a minute. And they set up these unreasonable rules, so they reduce Christianity to a, a set of do's and don'ts. No, 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 no. Don't do that. Oh, no, no, don't do that. God forbid don't do that. No, 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 no. It's like you're talking to a little kid. No, 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 no. They think that's their name. No, come here. <laughs> they think that's it. And, and they reduce Christianity to a bunch of no's. But I'm going to tell you, Christianity is not about no. Christianity is about yes. Christianity is not about I can't. It's about I can. The Christian life is all about through Christ, I can do anything. Nothing with God is impossible. And look what Jesus says in John 10, 10. My purpose, he's speaking again. He says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Jesus didn't come to give us religion. He came to give us a life that is rich and satisfying. And if you are not living that life, it's not God's issue. It's your issue that you're not trusting God and you're not obeying God. Because Jesus said, the truth will make you free. Well, let's figure out how we can get to this rich, satisfying life. It's what this fourth choice is all about. First thing is, Jesus doesn't want me to be religious. He wants me to be real. Happy are the pure in heart, not the religious in heart. You see, religious people, if they're not real careful, they take their eyes off of God, and they put it on their religion. They put it on their rules. I do A, B, C, D, and E, 
And somebody, not God, somebody pats me on the back and says, look how religious you are. You are such a good church person. I actually heard somebody say one time, when I die, I want to have the words Baptist stamped on my heart. Now, I got to tell you, we are, we are affiliated with the Southern Baptist of Texas. But Baptist doesn't get you in heaven. Pentecostal doesn't get you into heaven. Catholic, it does not matter what denomination you are. So I don't want Baptist on my heart. I want Christ follower. Because the only thing that gets me into the kingdom of heaven is being a member of God's family. So that means I'm a Christian. Christian means little Christ. That's what I want stamped on my heart. He wants me to be real. And see, religious people can say, stay sick their entire lives because they think this set of rules and regulations is what makes them right before God. But honest people will never stay in bondage for long. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to John chapter 11. We're going to look at the end of a very, very familiar story um, about the life of Lazarus. And, and we're not going to look at all of it. We're just going to look at the end because I want you to see something that maybe you haven't seen before. Um, this, isn't, this isn't some great spiritual revelation that God has revealed to me this week. This is a truth of God's word that's been there forever. But maybe we've focused on other parts of the story. We haven't seen this part of the story. So if you remember, Lazarus was a good friend of Jesus. Uh, his sisters sent to him. He's, he's about 20 miles away. And they say, hey, Lazarus, the one you love is sick. Come. And so Jesus stays there. You'd expect him to come, and he doesn't. And so four days later, he shows up in the town of Bethany, and the sisters come out, and they're griping at him. Why didn't you come? If you'd come, he wouldn't have died. Ah, you know, they're weeping and wailing. And Jesus says, show me where you've lain him. So they take him out to the tomb. And, uh, and Jesus says, roll away the stone. Now, Caleb and I were up in Dallas last weekend. What happens in major cities? Actually, it doesn't have to be a major city. What happens anytime there's a wreck on the side of the road? What do people do? It's called rubbernecking. Did you see that? Some people turn around and go back again. Why do we? That's just this morbid fascination with stuff. I just, I want to get through. I don't care. I mean, yes, I'll pray for the people that are in the wreck, but I don't want to cause another wreck while I'm watching at this stuff. But what do we people do? Caleb and I came through right downtown Dallas. We were going to Cabela's. That's, that's like God's house, Cabela's. And, and we were going to get some stuff because deer season's opening up and we needed some stuff. So, we could, so we're going through and it, it is massively packed. And I'm just like, what? It, it, was, it was one o'clock. No, it was three o'clock in the afternoon. It was long before rush hour should have been there. And we're coming through and, and I didn't have the radio on because we were jamming to uh, Selena Gomez and, and Demi Lovato. And, and uh, some of you don't even know who that is. They're teen sensations on the Disney Channel and... Anyway, we're, we're jamming to this stuff, and so I'm like, dude, turn on the radio. We've got to figure out what's going on. And I'm, I, I used to be live in Dallas and, and go through all... So we're going back roads and all this stuff. Well, we finally get to the place where there's the wreck. And it was a pretty serious wreck. I don't know how it happened, but the car got T-boned. It was a small like, car like we have, like a uh, Honda Civic, was T-boned in this big old repair truck. And, and I could just, in my mind, I could just imagine, you know, it pushed it over, and, and it was massive. But the weird thing was... Traffic was backed up just as far on the other side. Nothing happened over there. What was everybody doing? Coming up, hitting the brakes, going, look at that. We have this weird fascination. You're walking along and you hear this Jesus is going to a tomb. 
And he says, roll the stone away. What are you going to do? You're going to look. You're like, uh, I want to see what's going on here. And there's protestations because the sister's like, um, Jesus, he, I don't know if you know this, but he's been dead four days. Dead people stink. And you know more people came up. Because they want to see. Let's open it up. Let's see what's going on. Let's see what happens here. In John chapter 11, verses 43 and 44. Jesus shouted. Oh, just you got you to gotta use your imagination sometimes when you're reading God's word to allow it to penetrate in there. And, and by imagination, I mean, we're not adding anything to this. I want you to put yourself at the scene. We're not out in the graves like we have. This is a big old rock that he has rolled away because the tombs were hewn into the side of rocks or, or cliffs or whatever. So he's, he's rolling the stone away. You're standing there and you know the anticipation because Jesus, who's healed people from as much as 38 miles away, he just said, oh, they'll be well. And they found out, this guy can heal people. He can do this. And so crowd is huge. Roll the stone away. Stench. Ah, Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. What do you think happened next? He came out. Check it out. And the man who had been dead came out. And the man who stunk because he's been dead four days came out and and he stinks no more. And now check this out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of burial cloth and a cloth covered his face. Here's what I want you to see right here. This is the point. Jesus then told the people, untie him and let him go. You got, you got the idea here? What, is, what do you think he looks like? If he's, if he's wrapped in burial cloth and his face is covered in cloth, what does he look like? A mummy. All right, you got it? You got it in your mind? <laughs> Lazarus, come forth. How did he walk? Okay, but anyway, he gets out there. And Jesus says, untie him and let him go. Now, the Bible tells us Many things, but the Bible just doesn't tell us the things God did. The Bible tells us how God did things. And there's a huge difference. You need to understand how God did this. When you give your life to Christ, the Bible says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead in sin. If you don't believe me, you can look it up in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, we were dead. Dead people don't need a little perfume sprinkled on them. Dead people need to be made alive. And the Bible says if you were a Christ follower, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But Christ has made you alive. So, we don't need to smell better if we're dead. (laughs) We need someone more powerful than us to make us alive. But just like Lazarus, even though Christ has made us alive, just like Lazarus, we're still bound up with stuff from our past. Just because Christ comes into our life doesn't mean that all of the bad habits and the bad thought patterns are magically erased. No, God does something else with that and he does it through his people. What happens in churches and the reason religions are dead and churches are dead is people have been playing Halloween 365 days a year. Putting masks on and pretending I got it all together and then going home and living these horrible, miserable lives. And people say, I can be miserable without going to church. Why do I want to go to church and be miserable? I can do the, I can do miserable all by myself. There's a new Medea movie coming out. I can do bad all by myself. I can do miserable by myself. Why do I need Christianity to be miserable? They've missed the point because they've been religious. 
Jesus is saying, this is, this is the point you got to get. Jesus is saying, it's not enough that I brought you from death to life. I want to bring you freedom. And he does that through his people. Jesus then told the people, what people? His followers, the folks standing around, the friends of Lazarus. He says, I tell you to untie him and let him go. That's why we emphasize small groups all the time. You need to be in a small group because I guarantee you, and it's not that we think we have the best small groups in the world. We just believe that Jesus Christ does things in and through people's lives when we get together and talk about him. When we're honest, we talk about Celebrate Recovery all the time in here because, quite honestly, every one of you needs to be in Celebrate Recovery. It would be great with me if we shut down our Sunday night small groups and everybody came up here on Sunday nights for Celebrate Recovery because everybody has issues. Everybody needs stuff to be set free from. But we're in denial. Oh, Celebrate Recovery is not for me. It's for those people. You are those people. Come on. <laughs> You got stuff, you're just not being honest about it. And see, the thing is, Jesus didn't say, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus comes back from the dead. And he didn't say, untie him, and then tie him up with other stupid stuff. We try to have simple church here. We try to get together and have a a, a fun worship service because we think God's pretty fun. God's pretty cool. We want the music to be upbeat and we want to celebrate who God is and celebrate what God's done in our lives. That's what we do on Sunday mornings is we want to have a great time. We, I want the clapping. Most of you can't clap on beat. We don't care. Most of you can't sing. We don't care. We want to have a good time. We want church to be fun because we think a risen Savior is pretty cool. And we think he can do stuff in your lives that's pretty cool. But we're going to emphasize small groups because we know that life change happens best in small groups. Because you can hide in here. Even in a group this size, you can hide and you can put those Halloween masks on and pretend you got it all together. But when you get into small group, and honestly, this is why some of you aren't in small groups right now. Because when you get in small groups, you can't pretend anymore because people know you. And you're so afraid that somebody's going to see your junk and think maybe you don't have it all together. And and the cool thing about our church is we already know you're messed up. We are and, and we are the most messed up church in Palestine, Texas. We're not going to stay that way because through the power of Christ we're going to be changed. But we are messed up people, and so we're just honest about that. And some of you are so scared that somebody's going to find out you're messed up. Jesus says in John eight thirty six. If the son gives you freedom, you are free. How stupid it would be to loose Lazarus from his grave clothes and then tie him up with all these rules and regulations. Stupid, right? Happy are the pure in heart, not the religious in heart. But now some of you are going, ah, oh, okay, okay, I get where you're going. But how do I have a pure heart? Let me, let me make a couple of points here. First of all, good behavior does not purify your heart. That's religion. Jesus didn't come to give us religion. He came to give us life. Good behavior does not purify your heart. But a pure heart will change your behavior. Are you with me? You you can't just say one day, I'm going to clean my act up and behave myself and I'll have a pure heart. It doesn't work that way. Good behavior does not purify the heart. But a pure heart will change your behavior. 
Romans 5, 8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't wait for you to clean yourself up so that you could be presentable before him. The Bible says, no, you couldn't be presentable. Everything we do is like filthy rags. He says, you can't do it on your own. So I'm going to send a savior to do something you can't do for yourself. I'm going to make you alive because you're dead in your trespasses and sins. So before you and I ever thought about cleaning ourselves up, God sent someone to save us. So the only way to have a pure heart is to come to Christ and allow him to give you a pure heart, to purify you from your sins. Purity of heart is God's gift to his children. You can't earn it by being religious. You can't buy it. The only way to get it is to receive it. So you let God. That's step three we talked about last week. You commit yourself to God. And when you take that step, look at what God promised you in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become... Now, notice those words, has become, not will become, not hope to become, has become what? A new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. This is the theme verse for our church. We believe that Christ can give you a new life. And it happens, and we celebrate baptism out there quite often. People whose lives have been changed, they've been brought to life by a risen Savior. And Jesus says, happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And you're still saying, I don't see how this is possible because I don't have a pure heart. My mouth is foul. My mind, my, my mind is foul. My eyes are foul. How is it possible? Because quite honestly, I'm dirty. I'm messed up. And so am I. Join the human race. You think you're the only one that struggles with temptation? You think you're the only one that doesn't have bits of anger and and maybe thoughts of rage. You think you're the only one. No, we all do. You don't have to give in to it through the power of Christ, but we all fight temptation. So what do you do? You fight it. When you fall down, you confess it, you get back up, and you move back towards Christ. See, here's the second thing. The basis for a pure heart is not how good you've been. That's religion. The basis for a pure heart is not how good you've been. It's how good God is. There's a huge difference in religion and relationship. And the reason I have a pure heart is not because I'm good. It's because God is good and I'm his son. I'm his child. So I've got some questions for you today. What does your heart want? See, if it's up to me, I'm never going to have a pure heart. If it's up to you, you're never going to have a pure heart. It's based on God's character, not yours. It's based on God's actions, not yours. It's based on God's goodness, not yours. Your actions do not purify your heart. But a pure heart will change your behavior. So what do you want? Do you want to see God in your life? And I'm going to answer that for you. I think the answer is yes. And the reason I can answer that is because you're here today. I don't think you'd be coming if you didn't want a pure heart and you didn't want to see God in your life. I don't think you'd be here today. So you have a part in this and God has a part in it. And your part is to give yourself to God. Now, you got to understand this doesn't happen overnight. This is a lifelong process. You have a role to play and your role is admit when you've messed up. Your role is do everything you already know. Don't worry about the stuff you don't know about the Christian life. Oh, I don't know if I can be a good Christian. None of us can. Do the stuff you know to do and let God handle the rest of that. So this process, you cooperate with what you already know about God. And look what the Bible says. This is, this is awesome. Romans 4, 17. God calls things that were not as though they were. You got to get that concept in your mind. God calls things that were not as though they were. 
Because, see, he sees you the moment you come to Christ. He sees you as having a pure heart. He declares you have a pure heart. And then you cooperate with God in becoming what you already are. This child of God, you become a mature child of God as you become what you are. It's like this. Janie likes plants. She's in here today. Everybody say hi, Janie. She's so often back in the children's area that she's not it. So we got her for two weeks. So I got to be careful what I say today. She's on the front row. Um, Janie loves to work in the yard. She loves to beautify our yard. And, and Janie is one of these people that she'll, she'll go. She knows plant names and I figure she knows them. So why should I ever? Um, I just describe it and she tells me what it is. She'll buy something and she'll put it in the yard. She'll go out there and work in the yard and she'll put it down and, and she'll say, did you see my blah, 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 blah? And I'm going, what? My head, blah, blah, blah. and she calls the name and I'm like, I don't have a stinking clue what that is. You mean the pink thing out there by the pool? She goes, yeah, the pink thing. And, and I just call it a pink thing. And she tells me because people say, what's that? And I say, Janie, what's pink thing? And she tells me because she knows that stuff. She's always snipping things and putting it in the ground and nurturing it. And in her mind, she already sees that thing that looks like a weed. She sees it as something beautiful because I have a totally different view of yard work than my wife does. Caleb and I mow on the side, you know, just for some extra cash. And a few weeks ago, I bought this new weed eater. It's, it's a still. And, and you pay extra for a still. And the main selling point for me of this still was it wipes out anything short of a small tree. And you better wear clothes. Caleb's learned this as he's gotten older. He used to wear shorts when we'd go mowing. Man, I'm, I'm wearing clothes because it throws things. Rocks, I've had rocks hit my shin. I've had things pop up. You better have on some type of safety glasses because it is going to throw stuff around because I see a yard as something to get done, not something to beautify, something to get done. And so when I start weed eating, I become this wild weed eater man. And I got the thing going full blast. I don't think you should ever let off the gas of a weed eater. You go full blast and you kill things. And so Janie's always having to say, um, Doug, I, I planted something down there that's very valuable to me. Would you not hit it? And I'm like, sure, baby, I won't hit it. And I forget because, again, I see the yard as something to get done, not to beautify. And I knock it down. And about the time I goes, because it looks like a weed to me. It goes down and I go, uh-oh. And I go up and I say, uh... That thing that was supposed to be a pink, a pink thing in two months, it's no more. So she's put up these huge barriers. She gets four by four posts and sticks them in there where I can't run over it with my mower. And my weed whacker won't even whack a four by four post. If they sell one, I'll buy it, by the way. But mine won't do that. So you hit the, if it's not metal or, or, or you know, some big honking wood thing, it's gone when I weed eat because... Yard is something to get done. Well, Janie sees things, though. She sees things that aren't as though they are. She used to, one of our friends moved to Washington, D.C. She went over to his house, started snipping things. Oh, I want this, I want this. Snipping things in the yard. Sticks it in the ground. And she goes, that's going to be blah, 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 blah. Okay, baby, you better protect it. Because <laughs> I'm going to cut it, man. I just, I'm going to cut it. She sees things that aren't as though they are. Because when she sticks that bulb, she likes bulbs. Bulbs look like a mutated potato that you stick in the ground. They're the ugliest things I've ever seen. 
oh, this is going to be so pretty. Like, just keep it away from me, baby. If you get it up and I can see it's pretty, I won't weed whack it. But otherwise, she sees things that aren't as though they are because she recognizes all she has to do is put that thing in the ground, nurture it just a little bit, and it reaches its full potential. God does the same thing with you. He's already declared you have a pure heart. He's already declared he sees you as what you are. That's a child of God. We're the ones that get so hung up on our past that we keep falling down over and over and over again in the same process. God says, you are my child and I will do things in you if you'll cooperate with me. God declares your heart as pure. And and if you fall down, get back up. You notice that little kids, when they're learning to walk, they fall on their backsides all the time. But they don't stay down. What do they do? They get up and try again. Look like a little drunk man. Falling all over the place. They get back up. If you fall, get back up. And really, that's where God's people come in. Because you need people around you that will pick you up. And encourage you. And say I love you. No matter what you do. 1 John 1, nine says. If we confess our sins. He will forgive our sins. Because we can trust God to do what is right. He will cleanse us from all the wrongs we've done. What's my part in getting a pure heart? Admitting that I messed up. And I mess up. I admit it. And that's when God gives me his power. And why is it you think God wants us to go through this process of, of confessing to him, admitting to ourselves, confessing to... Why do you think God wants us to go through that process? Well, I think a lot of it is that so many of our behaviors are tied to poor choices that we've made in the past. They're the result... <laughs> yeah, Terry, we get her... her uh, pray for Terry because we're going to get her interview next week and she's petrified. So pray for Terry. And we make these choices and we get into this cycle of, of behavior. And the things that either we did or were done to us scar us and they hurt us and they shape our character and they shape our behavior, they shape our thoughts, they've shaped our lives. Yeah, yeah. And those things, our sins are forgiven, but there are things that need to be taken away. You are, you are bound up and tied by stuff in your past and you need to be unwrapped from the grave clothes just like Lazarus was. There are hurts that still need to be healed. There's habits that still have to be broken. There are hang-ups that we got to get over. We are not healed from our wounds until they're exposed and cleansed. My friend that moved to Washington, D.C. is an elderly man, and he's in the, the military retirement home there. A couple years ago, um, in the midst of, of working on this building, trying to get this stuff done, um, <laughs> he had this big old jar of coins that he wanted me to empty so we could take it down to the bank and get it Counted. It was an old-fashioned water jar that used to, you know, be glass. Now they're plastic. I wish it had been plastic. Anyway, I was lifting this thing up, and it just shatters in my arms. You know, it's a big old thing like this, and it's probably got... It probably has about 100 pounds of coins in it. So I'm lifting it up, and, and I shake it once. And I had on shorts, and this big shard of glass, one comes down here, and I still have that scar, and one comes down and just sizzles my leg and goes down. And, and so I'm standing there with glass everywhere, and, and, uh, and I look down, and I go, oh, no. Well, he doesn't have his hearing aid on. And he goes, are you okay? He's like right here. 
And I'm like, no, sir, I'm not. What? And I'm like, I'm bleeding profusely. You need me to take you to the ER? He's screaming at me. And I'm going, oh, I'm like, no, no. I love the man, so I'm not going to go any further than that. No, I'll drive myself. So I get in my car and I call Janie and I say, hey, babe, uh, I got to go to the ER. And she's like, oh, no, she's at a soccer game. No way is somebody calling me. It's him. I'm not making this up. It's, it's my friend. This isn't. Hello. Oh, hold on. Well, I'm going to have to call you back because we're at the end of church. I'll call you back in a minute. Bye. Okay. It wasn't him. Sorry. That would have been too cool. That would have been God. And uh, anyway, so I go to the ER. I call Janie. I say, hey, I got to go to the ER. And she says, I'll come get you. And I'm like, baby, I'm going to go drive on. And, and so I get a mile, a mile from his house. And, and I start seeing stars and I'm sweating profusely. And yeah, oh, no, is right. And I'm on the loop. And, and so I call Janie, I get over and I put it, I turn my, my, my uh, air conditioner on high and I got my face in front of it and I'm going out. And I call Janie, I'm like, I think I'm passing out. And uh, she's like, where are you? And I said, I don't know. And so, <laughs> so she's like, I'm coming. She gets behind all the traffic in the world. She can't get out of the soccer game. She's coming and I'm on the side of the road bleeding. And, and oh. so all of a sudden, boom, I feel good. And I call her back and I said, where are you, baby? She said, I'm coming, I'm coming. I said, don't worry about it, I'm driving on. I feel good. I've revived. I lost enough blood that I feel good. So I start driving, and she's coming along. She's going she's gonna to go behind me, and she drives to the hospital. Well, I'm already back there, and they, you know, again, you're at the ER, and everybody's comparing injuries, you know, and, and mine's quit bleeding, and it's kind of crusty by now, and, and uh, so I'm not going anytime soon, and I'm sitting there, you know, sick people coming in. I'm like, <laughs> and people are going, what's wrong with you? And I just... Do that. And they're like, you know. So when I finally get back in there, Janie comes up and she's holding my hand. And, you know, because I, anyway, she's holding my hand back there. And the doctor comes in. He's this young guy. And he says, what happened? And I, and so he, he starts irrigating all these things. He's squirting stuff in there. He's mashing on my leg. And, and I'm about to hit the dude in the name of Jesus because it hurts. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and it hurts. And, and he's like, oh, well, yeah, I'm going to have to have some stitches there. And, and I'm, I'm like, dude, you don't understand. But he's like, you don't understand. The last thing I want to do is sew up some glass in your leg. You know what kind of damage that's going to do and how bad it's going to hurt later if he sews up the, the stuff in my leg? I'm like, okay. And then lidocaine. Man, lidocaine is not your friend. Homeboy is stabbing me with lidocaine. He said, I got to get you, I got to get it cleansed. I've got to expose the wound. I've got to cleanse the wound, make sure everything's out. Then I'm going to sew you up. Up here, he just stuck super glue on me. And it costs like 160 bucks for one drop of super glue. Because he's like, do you want me to sew it or super glue it? And I said, just super glue it. And that's the most expensive stuff ever. So he sews up my leg and he super glues me here and he sends me home. And, and he says, you know, come back and all that stuff. But the whole point was he had to cleanse it. The reason you're not healed from some of the stuff in your past is it's festered. You've been hiding it for so long and dressing it up, putting nice clothes on top of that wound, and it's rotting underneath. 
And you will never get well. You'll never experience freedom until you're honest. Because you don't get free from your past until you're honest about your past. And, and you know, the process is painful, but, but necessary. James 5.16, very clear. The half-brother of Jesus says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be what? Healed. Now, very quickly... Let's just take a few seconds. Here's the things I want you to remember as you walk through this process. Number one, remember God's kindness. And this is even one of the, the praise choruses. I love it. it it's at, based on this Romans 2.4. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Can't you see that it's His kindness, that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? It's your kindness, Lord, that leads me to repentance. Some of you know that verse or know that chorus. It's his kindness, not his anger, that turns us from our sin. Number two, remember God's faithfulness. And I love, absolutely love this verse, this passage. Romans 8, 38 through, 30, 38 through 40. I got it labeled wrong. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not any addictions, hang-ups, problems, sins, nothing in my past... Not even the powers of hell itself can separate us from God's love. Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. That should be 40, the last verse there. And then remember God's promises. Some of you are saying it's not possible for me to have a pure heart. Check this out. Ezekiel 36, 26. And I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. God says, you want a, you want a pure heart? How about I give you a new one? Yeah, yeah. How about I give you a new heart? God is already at work within you. If you're in God's family, you have a pure heart and He wants to grow you up to match what you already are. If you'll obey God, not only will you experience forgiveness for your sins, you'll experience freedom from your past. Yeah. 